Hello and welcome to The Agenda on the Monday the 6th of February 2023. I am your host, Kesra Gallagher. It's uh, in terms of the weather, which I, I know you all love, uh, it's a bit overcast, but there is some brightness and I'm expecting some brightness this, this afternoon. It's not as cold as it was. Spring is on the verge of sp- sp- being sprung. Nah, fuck that. Uh, it looks nice. It looks nice, to be honest. Uh, this week, as always, we're joined by Alan Edgar. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good, mate. Thank you for the, the weather report, which seems to grow. The world count seems to grow week on week. <laughs> I could go on, but I don't. Uh, also, the like weather... A, yeah, like we- a uni essay. You're just padding it out a wee bit every week. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good to hear from you, Alan. Uh, Kieran Devlin, our good friend. How are you, my friend? My friend. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh not not a nice not a nice day here. A bit overcast, uh, but I had a, had, a, had a nice weekend with with friends. Uh, not seen them for a, for a while, so yeah, it was it was nice. Got got very very social. Uh, um, I was you know a rugby fan for about two hours because <laughs> my friends family family were there and we were watching them and getting some some free beers. So uh, I felt the least I could do was support Scotland if I was getting free jars bought for me. Um, uh, and yeah, it was, it was it was a nice time. Obviously, some absolute uh, weapons in the bar, as you would expect it being Six Nations season. But you have to take the rough with the smooth. I love see one thing I'll say about Twitter that still is hilarious is see when you just see pictures of like the jeans with the kind of uh, brown brogy sort of things, uh, and people putting pictures up and all that is absolutely hilarious. Um, because rugby is shit. <laughs> I mean. The, the, it's got no redeeming qualities um, and yeah that's that uh, but I'm glad you got some free pints Kieran that's that's genuinely a, a, yeah, the a, most important a most important thing um, so great stuff Alan how are you how's your weekend been what, how's your week been what have you been up to hey, all good mate I was out on Saturday actually um, I was over uh, I was in Harry's actually when the rugby was on um, didn't watch it um, but it was <laughs> there was a lot of people interested in it so I had some some lovely pints to uh, to keep me going um, which was good really good day out and then obviously Celtic game yesterday so it was a lovely weekend that I'm largely off work this week as well which is always uh, always a joy absolute ideal uh, you know Heritage right which is one of my favourite pubs to go to just in the city I love it it's not very good for football, though, in terms of if, you know, they've, they've, I'm, I, this is, if you've never been to Heritage, you won't know what I'm talking about, but it is a really famous uh, Celtic pub on the south side of Glasgow. Um, the Guinness is usually excellent as well. Um, but in regards to actually watching a game, the TV coverage isn't very good. Alan, thoughts? I'll be honest, I quite like the, the situation because then I don't think it's somewhere that I don't think people necessarily go specifically to watch football, which is quite handy because you know, a Sunday afternoon if there's a Premier League game on, they'll have it on, but, you know, it's not big plasma, big pull-down TV, so I quite like that. I, I'll be honest, I quite like sometimes when pubs don't uh, put a TV front and centre, just a wee bit left field. So I'll um, I'll opt not to criticise Heritage on the pod, Christopher, and I'll, I'll in fact praise him. Yes, and uh, Alan Edgar is available for any promotional work that Heritage are uh, handing out. On a, on a I don't know what they'd be promoting, to be honest. Um, I really don't, but the pub, absolutely, yeah. always. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank, th- thanks for um, just putting a wall up there, Alan, uh, on that discussion. Great, no, great do, start to do, the week. my local pub doesn't have any TVs at all um, in Deniston. And, you know, it's quite handy, actually. Obviously, you don't go and watch football because you would be very much let down. <laughs> but it's actually quite nice uh, being in a pub where 
you know, no TVs, you know, not get Sky Sports droning in the background. It's uh, it's quite pleasant. So, nah, different different strokes are different folk, Christopher. Okay, fine. I'm just, uh, life. I'm just picturing Alan and had like all these old guys with uh, black caps, hud- you know, huddling around an old wireless where they listen to. Oh, this is this is the way you're supposed to experience football. Just like <laughs> just like the, the old crinkly Clyde, just like dreadful commentary, and you can barely hear it. Yeah, that's what that's the dream. That is that is a dream. Of Newspaper course. ink all over our hands all day. You know, it's uh, it's, it's a throwback. It's funny I, when you, whenever you go. I don't know if it's still like this, but pre-pandemic anyway, when I used to go to the Queen's Park Cafe, they would you know the wee blue betting pens just everywhere, just absolutely everywhere. Um, if you need a pen, it's not a problem because they're everywhere. But um, yeah, great stuff. We'll we'll be talking more about uh, pubs on the south side of Glasgow as we as we go through the week. Uh, that's a new sort of um, feature within every podcast. So don't worry about it. It's just a bit of fun, Alan. And Kieran, like, you know what I mean, Jesus, off the bat. We might even include the East End and the West End. We'll avoid the South Centre. Ah, yeah, I mean, don't go to the South Centre to watch football, certainly. Uh, Kieran, uh, quickly, do you do you have a local? I know we've talked about this briefly, but do you have a local that you frequent? Because you've been in Edinburgh for a while now. Yeah, but there's, there's just, because I've got um, friends. So a bit deeper leaf than the other waterfront, and because I'm up at the top, um, we just had there's about as a row of all the down leaf walk, and then a bit further further in there's <laughs> on uh, going towards Constitution Street. There's basically thirty different pubs, but we got we got some favourites. Like a big fan of the the Black Fox um, is a really good one. Um, re- best burger in Edinburgh as well. Uh, good selection of beers. It's it's the, pretty much the only place where you can still buy a pint. Of um of well IPA and pale ale obviously laggers are a bit different but you can buy a IPA pale ale for under a fiver which Oof. is pretty extraordinary so I think that and the Joker and the Thief which is a really interesting pub very quickly because it used to be um it used to be like a a locals pub of a factory um as as a as a symbol for uh, Leith's gentrification over the decades uh, which obviously as I'm one of the leading <laughs> leading figures in <laughs> um but it's it's become you know it's it's a really, a really interesting clientele where it's become it's it's, the, it's not like a wanky hipster pub or anything it's 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 diversified a bit but it still has like some of the old guards still come in so it's quite an interesting crowd and everybody chats to everybody it's quite a nice community pub so yeah that's a nice one as well great stuff uh, great to hear um cool great uh, let's let's just get into it. We've got a lot of questions, uh, some really good questions, as always, from the listeners and subscribers, covering a lot of different topics and stuff. Um, and we're going to open up with uh, a question from Paul. Paul has sent in this question, and I've I've got some other things to kind of talk about within this question. Has Ange assembled the best squad, not starting eleven, just best squad since the year two thousand? Looking at the bench yesterday, listening to the reaction and listening to Ange's comments, I'd say yes. Excluding goalkeeper and left-back, then I'd say we have two starters for each position who, when called upon, would come in and not weaken the team. Would be keen to hear your thoughts. Great question, Paul. Um, obviously, the two caveats being goalkeeper and left-back. Um, Alan, do we have two starters for each position currently? What's your thoughts on Paul's question? Uh, to answer the question, I think... I think it's a fair argument that we have, this is probably the strongest squad in kind of modern Celtic history, I would think. I don't know if I would go as far to say we've got two players absolutely for every position. I think we are maybe just a couple short of that level. But I mean, 
that is elite level when you have two players of similar calibre for each position. There's very few there's very few squads, to be honest, in European football that are at that level and you know, they are the they are the sides that are competing at the you know later stages of the Champions League generally. Um but I do think it is a extremely strong squad and I think what we've done well and it is adapt to the the kind of change, the slight change in rules. Obviously now the five substitutes, which I don't think is universally popular, but it, the, the fact we can use it, we can use it to advantage. We have a bigger budget. That means then there's, you do have the option of giving more game time across the squad. So you can be a little bit more um, kinder with the minutes um, so that players are getting what what they need. Um, and I know the guys touched on it yesterday in the reaction with them, you know, Haksibanovic coming on for four or five minutes and that maybe it's, you know, that's not enough for a player. I understand that, but it can sometimes help players um, keep quite happy um, when you do get brought on, you get your goal bonus, or, uh, sorry, you get your win bonus, etc. These things can sometimes matter. And I think Ange does generally use five subs every game. Um, so it, it doesn't hurt to have a happy squad. Um, and I do think we are there. Like everybody, we always want more. We want data. We want data in every position. But it is a really, really strong, you know, personnel throughout the team. There's real competition. I think the only thing that we're relying on, and we are sometimes guilty of doing this every window, is we're working on the basis that every signing, new signing we're brought in in this window will be a success. Um, and we, we won't know that yet. We won't know that probably until later, you know, in the season. But Every window, it feels like we're chipping away and we're improving. The, and I keep kind of going on about the average ability or the aggregate of the squad. And it feels like every year it, it has been chipped away at. We are doing good business out and we look like largely we're doing good business in. So, I mean, it is exciting. I think everybody's the same now when that team sheet comes out. Everybody looks at the group chat and everybody has a different opinion. Um, whereas in previous years, it's pretty straightforward. You know, your, your best 11 is there. But now... You're hoping that we're, like yesterday, you're hoping we're in a good position at halftime so that you can think, right, okay, the game's won. Now let's make changes. Let's see the other guys, give other guys an opportunity. And that's that's always exciting. And I think that does translate through the squad because it keeps them fresh, keeps them active. And, you know, there's real competition there for starting places. So it's all good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Keating, your kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm thinking the exact same. I agree it's the strongest squad we've had in 20 years. But I, as with Alan, I do think... There are a number of positions there where you'd think, okay, maybe the you're, you're short a couple of players through the spine of the team that maybe helps get you to that next that next level. Um, so I, I think I think Alan is spot on. I think that what I'm quite curious about is that we're talking about the strength and depth. I think it's interesting that the team that played yesterday. I think you'd probably. I think that's Angie's starting eleven at the moment. That's his first choice. Um, you know, we're not we're not seeing much rotation, which I mean, we'll go, we'll come on to a couple of the more questions are, are about this. But I think it's interesting that only two of those players were play um, are players who have arrived at the last two transfer windows, and one of those is because we have no other right backs available. <laughs> um, whatever you know, John, you know, John, whatever thing of Johnston's ability, he, you know, he's, he's been solid so far. He's been solid so far, but I'd be curious to know whether whether Ralston would be a challenge for him. Um, and then Moy is obviously in good form at the moment. I think it's interesting when you look at like when we're talking about Hag- Hagzabanovic not getting much minutes. 
the the three lads who the three other lads who arrived in January. Um, you know, I think it's I think it'll be interesting to see whether they can break break through because I'd be surprised even with the St. Mirren game of the weekend. We're going to come on to what we think, what sort of rotation we might be there. I, um, I'm not sure there'll be as much rotation as we want. I think we saw this last last year um, as well. I think other people pointed out, I'm not the first to do so, that the first half of the season, Ange likes to rotate a lot when it's two games a week, but as soon as it's down to one game a week, he tends to stick with his best 11 and you have to wait to the summer to really push for that contention. Um, you know, I think this may be, I think it can be a bit frustrating for us when we're looking at, you know, we want to see what O can do with the start. We want to see what Awata can do with the start. Personally, I really want to see Kobayashi get some games again, um, specifically with an eye on the Rangers games, given we know what our weaknesses are playing out from the back. But it does look at this point that it's CCV and Starfield that will be in the cup final. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's very possible that the team played yesterday is the 11 for the cup final. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if that changes too dramatically. But I, I think, yeah, we're looking at the players that are coming off the bench. They're all. Look, they all look good. They all look quite exciting. You know, all is looking sharp. Haxabanovic is looking, I, I, you know, but he's 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 an agenda favourite. I think, even though he's not played much the second half of the season so far. Yeah, it, it's it's exciting. It is really exciting. But I think I mentioned this last week as well. I know it. I don't. It doesn't. I'm not intending it to come across as arrogant when I say I have one eye on next season because I'm so I just miss European football quite a lot, and I'm quite excited about what we can do. Um potentially next season um, and I think imagine a lot of other players are as well when they're just you know if the likes of Iwata hopefully <laughs> is not what Graham calls the the goodification of uh, Iwata and we just n- should never sign any number sixes and you know I think it is, it's not it's very different to Maeda and Hitate for example who had to hit the ground running because we were so short in bodies. Like the the the, the change in difference to even twelve months ago, never mind um, eighteen months ago, is massive, and it's very that is very very exciting. You know, I think we we're just nitpicking because that's what we're doing. We're cynical bastards, but this is a really healthy position we're in as a squad. Yeah, um, Paul's question kind of goes back to since the year two thousand. Um, I was just I've kind of been looking around over the last couple of days about kind of different Celtic squads and stuff, and. Uh, Myself and Alan and Chris Amani were kind of talking about in a chat on Friday about the 2003-2004 team, which essentially, from a contemporary standpoint, is probably the kind of benchmark uh, in regards to... Obviously, Brendan Rodgers' team won, won trebles and stuff, but this Celtic team, they won a double... Uh, they won. Uh, they got to the quarterfinals of the European uh, UEFA Cup. They did really well. Well, really unlucky in the Champions League. To me, this is probably the benchmark, right? And it's twenty years ago, so football has changed, etc. But just looking at it, it's very kind of it's interesting because just looking at kind of the stats of the players who played in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, it's kind of like you've got your top players playing fifty odd games. And then the squad players play very, very little. Um, that's why I think this squad is maybe the best because it feels more like a squad. Whereas un- under Martin O'Neill, you would have your top guys and then you'd have the guys who would come in and pad out cup games, would pad out games where we're winning. Um, I mean, just I'm going to, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but like Stanislav Varga and Baldy, 55 games. 
Stelian Petrov, Neil Lennon, 55 games, 53 games. Henrik Larsson, 58 games. Chris Sutton, 44 games. It's like, these are my guys, and I've got a couple of other people who are going to supplement that. Whereas this team, uh, to, to kind of talk to Paul's point, is more like we've got 20 who can kind of fill in almost every, you know. And that's why I think he's probably right. I think it's probably the, the, the strongest squad we've had. But also just in a funny kind of thing, Celtic goalkeeping, the goalkeeping position. 2003-2004, Robert Douglas played 26 games, Magnus Hedman played 19 games, and David Marshall played 18 games. Whereas we've got Joe Hart, who has played 33, and Seacrest has played two. Uh, and obviously when Boric was number one, Boric played all the games. And when Foster was number one, Foster played all the games. And when, um, obviously, Gordon was number one, Gordon played all the games. Do you think, um, we we, talk, we throw away about this idea of let's just go and get another goalkeeper. We, Celtic need to go and get another goalkeeper. But Alan, it's, it's a really tough position to fill, which we can see from contemporary times because it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to expand on it. It's a tough position to fill. Yeah, uh- I think we've talked about that maybe the last few weeks on here. Um, I, I do think goalkeepers are the hardest position to recruit for. I think in other areas, it's much more simple to have an, a, you know, your number one target. And then if you don't get him moved down to number two in the list, you know, for a striker or a winger, perhaps goalkeeper, it's very difficult to get three targets that can tick all the boxes. Um, because it is a much more defined skill, I think it's easier to, Look at a goalkeeper and say he will be he will be great. He will not be great. Whereas other positions, there's so many more variables in it. Yeah. Um, which then means I think top teams can identify top goalkeepers much quicker. Um, we're shopping in a market as well where we probably want the type of goalkeeper that can that's an all rounder that can do everything. Um, and that's what you know a lot of teams want to get. It's it is, I think, for what we want to get, it's the most difficult position um, to recruit for. And I think it will be extremely difficult. I don't doubt that we would like to recruit or have recruited another goalkeeper of the kind of number one standard. But we've not done it yet. And we're not, I don't even remember as being linked with anyone, um, apart from some nonsensical ones after the World Cup with the um, Croatia goalkeeper I think which seemed to be largely unfounded it is extremely difficult and I think it is becoming something that I think most people um, are agreeing with I heard you and Paul Carlin um, caveating your way through the Joe Hart discussion yesterday um, and <laughs> Colin Kearney had the good sense to stay out of it so that uh, you know uh, he's, he's just stepping around it trying to be extremely polite but also being savagely horrible at the same time <laughs> Um, which is the conundrum that Joe Hart's put us in because yeah. he's a very popular, he's um, been an exceptional signing for us. Um, he will be, whenever his time up at Celtic is number one, he'll be very, very fondly remembered. But I think most people are of the opinion that if we want to kick on to the next level, there will need to be a new number one. Um, and to be honest, I think that's just, I, I don't even think that's for debate at this point. Um, maybe people haven't quite arrived at it yet. I have no concerns about Joe Hart between now and the end of the season domestically. Um, but he made a mistake yesterday. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think if you're suggesting that he, you know, was unlucky or unfortunate with that yesterday, then you're just kidding yourself on. He's got to save it. He gets a hand to it. You've got to save it. 
but I'm not concerned about him too much um, because I think he's a good professional. I think he'll know that he can do better and, you know, between now and the season is fine. When we go into the Champions League next year, though, I think there will need to be a big improvement. If we go into the Europa League at some stage next year, there will need to be an improvement. So I think it is the most pressing area that we need to improve, but it's also the most difficult. So I think it's one that when the window comes in the summer, I wouldn't be surprised if we do find it difficult and that it might rumble on a bit and you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't recruit a new number one in the summer. Not because for lack of trying, it's just it's extremely difficult. It's a very saturated market, um, so we'll have to be very sharp and alive to it. So, that, you know, I'm not um, hanging my hat on there being a new number one by the first game of the season next year. So, it's I think it's maybe a healthy dose of realism when it comes to recruiting a goalkeeper. Uh, I do remember when we signed Foster for the first time. We signed him on loan from Newcastle, and he wasn't very good. The first, the first kind of um, the first time he was here, he, he wasn't particularly bad, but he was young and he was making mistakes. And then when we signed him full time, I, I remember everyone kind of being like, "Oh God!" Like we had all these other targets, and then he just developed into a fantastic goalkeeper. And Kieran, we may have to come to realise that that's a route we might have to go down, where we bring in a goalkeeper who's maybe younger, who's got probably maybe mistakes in them, like developing and learning and That'll be tough to take, but you know, long term, short term pain for long term game. Yeah, potentially. I think I think it'll be quite interesting. Um, but that does seem to be the approach we're, we're we're going down. I do think we're trying to stay stay away from big investment signings. Um, but that might change in the summer. You know, it might just be the fallout from having spent so much on CCV and Jota. We're like quite reluctant in January. And over the rest of the summer to, you know, spend six, seven million pounds on a player, which is absolutely understandable. It's a lot of money for us. Um, you, know, I, you know, I think it's it's been interesting that, you know, we, you, you know, Kobayashi, oh, these are young players who need time to develop. You know, they haven't come and, and started right away. Um, the, both of them, I think both of them will look good. They look for you know, they've shown flashes, but they might take a year or two to begin showing their potential. Um and I think that's, I guess that's just the nature of the beast. We always talk about how Celtic, you know, they are, if they're going to be this club that attracts young talent, develops in themselves and them on for profit, that's the nature of the beast. I think what's something you have seen, though, is how Ajax, their European success, I've balanced that by bringing in a couple, like two or three really experienced, high quality players when they brought back Daily Blind, when they brought in Dusan Tadic, a couple of players who just, raise the bar of the team that you just accept you're not going to make a profit on them but what they give you in terms of experience in terms of quality and also just that just that intangible you know that 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 thing that takes you to the next level in european european stage i think yes having like i'm per, you know i'm perfectly happy with them investing in a young keeper if they they're confident that he can develop into a forster or into a borich what have you but at the same time, part of me would like, you know, if we are going to, like, and given the state of the squad is as healthy as we say, and you know, there's no, there's no low knees we have to worry about. Um, you, I think it is a situation where we can say we only really need to make two or three, at worst four, if we sell someone proper first team starting eleven signings in the summer, you're going to have a decent budget. Um, if we qualify for the Champions League again with some of the money left over from. Um, Gigi and Juranovic 
are you if you're going to you know spend two or three million on a couple of players like O or like Kobayashi, where are you going to commit? If you just say like one position, you're going to commit to an experienced, high quality player. You're confident in taking us to that next level, personally. And you you know spending six, seven, eight, eight million quid on them, I personally would pick goalkeeper um, all day because I do think that is where that. We saw it with Forster, both in the Europa League and in the Champions League in 2012 13, having a goal- goalkeeper who not only can do click crosses and do the kicking stuff that we want, but you're making you know decisive stops. It, it does earn you like three, four, five points in the group. So I, I think if this if there's any time, if you're going to split, you know, saying an exciting young number eight, saying an exciting young winger, personally, I'd say bring a 26, 27, 28 year old keeper who can do all the kicking and all the system stuff we want but can also make those just electric saves that we've seen from Forster and Boric in European nights past. So you're talking about that's being a big investment even though it might be someone that we might not make money back on? I, I think a goalkeeper is a bit of an interesting one because they are they can go longer, stay 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 at their peak age for so much longer than any outfield position. So I think it depends what like if it you know I think it, there's a big difference between investing that money in a keeper who's mid twenties compared to a keeper who's in his early thirties. And I think there's an absolute justification for investing that level of money in a keeper who's like early thirties because you you're you're not guaranteed, but you can be confident of having three, four, five years of him at his best. Um, but then, you know, if you have a keeper at their t- mid to late 20s, that's a different situation where you can, you know, if if he performs for two or three years, if he excels in the Champions League, you've got that quality. He does bump you up. But at the same time, you can potentially still sell for profit as well. Uh, I think, I think you know, it's, it's, it depends. Obviously, <laughs> this is all like, it's all fun speculating. Just to, as Alan says, the market is so saturated and we have no idea where we're going to enter. That it's so, you know, depending on uh, various factors. But personally, that's... if. And what would you if you could have one like marquee signing where you're spending six to eight million quid this summer? What position would you want? You're you're preaching at the converted. And <laughs> to me, honestly, I I, com- I completely if 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 it meant spending a big chunk of our budget next season to get a goalkeeper that's going to improve that position, I'm all for it. Alan, what's your take? Yeah, I, I think the point about age is something I was going to come in on, and I I, I think I agree. If there's one position in a park, actually, I particularly don't care whether it's an investment for the future or not. As goalkeeper, I think it is such a standalone issue. If we bring, for example, you know, you 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 mentioned Fraser Foster, the equivalent of that now would be that you know we go and we get a 24 year old or 25 year old from England that's maybe at that stage where he wants first team football, gets European football. You've got a year of him. So and he's not your player. Yeah. So now that's fine. If it's a top player, then I'm happy with that because then you kick the can down the road and you have a big decision again to make the next year and you go and recruit. But also the alternative is that instead of that, instead of thinking about age, you actually just go and get whoever's the best available. Uh, if we went next summer and brought in a 32, 33 year old that maybe had made his money down in England, I mean the absolute classic is just look at the backup list of every top English team because sometimes goalkeepers will they get the four or five year contract and then they think you know I can go and play football I can get the payoff from that deal and that's why it's such a the goalkeeper market is entirely unique to any other position it's it, it is entirely different to any other position so I, I really have no interest in it being you know, if, if we manage to get a 20-year-old that's not played and is looking to make his move to um, football here in the UK, 
fantastic, great. Maybe even for two, three years, we go through a rough patch, but you know, come out the other side. I'd be just as happy if we brought in a 31 or 32 year old that, um, as a, a, a kind of slightly more rounded goalkeeper than Joe Hart, um, a couple of years off the clock. I, I would be more than happy with that, to be honest. So it's the one position where I genuinely do not care about resale value or I, I would just like an improvement and, you know, a, a proper Champions League quality goalkeeper coming in East Peak. I mean, that would be, um, that, that would be delicious. Um, so if we could do that, that would be great. But, Again, as I say, it'll be, I think it'll be a long summer um, when it comes to goalkeeper recruitment and there'll be, there'll be a lot of names thrown about, I'm sure. You don't often use the word delicious, Alan, and do you know what? It it, it suits you, but also makes me feel really uncomfortable. Ah, <laughs> goalkeepers and goalkeepers and potato crickets, that's what I reserve <laughs> uh, the, the delicious for. The right, delightful pool there, Alan. Um, yeah, uh, title of your memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> goalkeepers, uh, right. Um, uh, Ange Postacoglu was mentioned, we were talking about Joe Hart as well. Um, there was a question raised about the fact that Joe Hart, uh, Aaron Moy and David Turnbull are out of contract in 2024. Um, Ange was asked whether he wants to keep them. Um, and his response was, yes, but it's about having discussions with the players themselves. I need to know where they're at, where their heads are. Last year, we had Nir Bitton and Tom Rogic with a year left. It would have been easy for the, for me to let them roll on for another year. But after discussions, we came to a conclusion where these guys felt they were opportunities they wanted to explore, and they moved on. With these, With those three guys, I'm constantly talking to them about their ambitions. I want to make sure that every step of the way we're looking after the players' interests, but also looking after the club's interests too. Every decision will be made against this that backdrop. Um, interesting quotes. Uh, what you'd expect, but also it's nice to hear it that you know he's he's talking to David Turnbull. We, we, David Turnbull. Uh, Adam Moy is someone who is obviously an exceptional form just now, um, and his contract been coming up. I think it would be very easy to up. Yeah. What's your thoughts on those those questions, those comments? Uh, we'll start yourself, Alan. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting to hear that there is clearly a, you don't want to sound too business arsey, but that kind of holistic approach of actually ensuring the players, they think it's right. Um, and the example I used from last year is very good. I don't doubt both players, probably if the club had offered a deal and they hadn't had that discussion, they might have thought, you know what, I will just take the deal. Yeah. Good money. You know, they know the league, they know the team. But actually, you know, scratching the surface a little bit and maybe the desire wasn't quite there. And I think from the club's view, they probably denied that as well. Um, I think it's three different players, two different discussions. Um, one of them to me is a no-brainer. I would give David, I'd hope David Turnbull signs a new deal. This isn't a discussion about David Turnbull's ability, level, standards, game time. But as an asset, time down to a new deal, you know, I'm not saying give him £40,000 a week or, you know, double his wage, but just from the club's point of view, he was an investment. He's a player, he's a good player. Um, he's more than capable of playing for us and he's an important part of the squad. And given his age and given his potential ability, I, I would hate to run him down to that last year. So I would hope that the club have more input in that than the other two, because I think that's just how you should operate. Um, whether you think he'll be a first-team player in two years or three years or not, he's, a, he's someone who has a value and has a, a value to the club. So I think the club should have more input in that um, alongside the manager. I think Aaron Moy and Joe Hart are probably more similar in the discussion to the two from last year. Moy's form at the moment is obviously exceptional, um, but it is about sitting down and looking at it. I mean... 
with every passing game, you feel like you would give Moy an extra year, um, no question. But I think it probably is similar to last year. You need to make sure that he has that desire, that he wants to be there. Um, and Joe Hart as well, I think, you know, we've talked about him a little bit. I think he's the one that um, the manager would probably have input in. Um, so I think there's two, three different players, but two different debates. And I think the club should really be looking to protect themselves in the David Turnbull kind of scenario because I would be disappointed if he were in his last year and, you know, you, you lost him for a nominal fee. Um, I think he, he certainly got a value that's more than what we paid for him. Um, and I think he would want to get him signed up in a new deal and then think about, right, what's the future? How do we develop you? Uh, Kieran, what's your gut tell you about those three players and the potential for them re-signing? I'm not sure. I, I think I think it really hinges. I think Joe Hart is an interesting one because if if the club really are looking to sign a number one in the summer, would that how would that reflect reflect on him? You know, because like he did move to Celtic because he wanted to be a number one at a club. Completely fair. Has that you know two years is a long time in your football career. Has that perspective changed? Maybe like if if Ange was saying, I'm going to give you an extra year so you'll have another eight, 18 months. Um, would you, you know, are you happy being another number two for the next two seasons? And just being a mentor, being a good, like, you know, being the, all having all the intangible qualities we, we've come to really admire and respect in, in Joe Hart? Or would you say, okay, instead I'm going to go to an English Championship Club and be their number one for a season because that's what I'm doing? I think you just have to be very upfront and honest. And it is, I think, as Alan says, Turnbull's specific situation is just about protecting his value. You know, you know, is is he, you know, a Champions League quality player? Not yet. Um, he might be in time, but he's not. He's not yet. Um, so, and I, I think you know, there's a there's a separate question about when's a good tilt. We've we've discussed them in the past about maybe in January, maybe in the summer would be a good time to sell them. <laughs> you know, Ed, to protect that, he does need to sign a new contract. I do with it again. It's all about being completely upfront and honest and saying, no, we're not not necessary. You're not a guaranteed starter here. We do. If Ange does want them, you can say like you'd if you improve these certain things, you become a starter. You you know you you earn a, a greater contract. If not, then you were going to you know um, have have a, have a broader conversation about you can earn more more money. If you can pitch it selfishly, saying if you're saying this, you'll get a bigger sale on uh, signing on fee. If we we do sell you to um, whoever we do, and then Moy Mo is an interesting one as well because you know, the, given his his age and ever his age and everything, he's in very good form. Whether that just you know distorts the opinions because eighteen months is a, is a long time, but he is in good form and he will be um, about to turn thirty four by the time his contract expires. And I think yeah, I think I think Moy looks like he's enjoying this football year. Hart looks he's likely he's happy. I do. I, I think Turnbull is such a, a funny one because he's the one you really want to sign one in t- in terms of asset protection. But you'd imagine he'd be the least happy and least likely to at the moment. <laughs> Again, because I, I haven't worked there for five months, so I have no no insider information. This is just a you know pure speculation, but I do think it's a very interesting uh, dynamic, and I do wonder whether if you know I think it's quite revealing about the comments about Angent about Beaton and Rogic as well, and whether you know it seemed to imply there that he suggested that they were going to strengthen the positions those guys are in in the in the summer. Would they be happy being more bit part players than the? The were last season and that seems to well that's what I inferred from that conversation at least yeah, yeah. I do wonder if that's maybe something 
he might put to those three guys as well. Like, you know, I'm happy to have you around the squad. You're, I'd rate you as good players. You, But potentially there might be competition in your position that might see your game time reduced. Is that a decision you're happy with? Yes, grand, no. Right, we'll try and find you another solution. Yeah, I, I think just on the Joe Hart thing, I think we have, Joe Hart's career has been reinvigorated over the last two years. I think he, if, if he wants to sign a, Contract. I think he wants to be probably a number a number one for another couple of seasons. So I have the and I, I have the feeling that he would say, "I really want to play." So therefore, as as one, I, I can't remember who it was said like like an, an English Championship club going for promotion, turning around saying, well, "We can guarantee you'll be the number one for at least you know the Championship season." I, I think he probably wants to play because he's got that bit between his teeth again. Whereas before he was on the bench for so long and stuff. So yeah. I, I think he would only sign it if he was... You're not going to guarantee anyone's going to play, but those discussions do take place, Alan. Yeah, and I think specifically on that, when you get to, I forget, Joe Hart 35 yeah. at the moment, yeah, or so, there yeah. or thereabouts, I think it's a case of... I think thinking 18 months in the future, 35, when you're that age. I know, yeah. I, I know for a goalkeeper it's different. You know, you would fancy your chances of playing 37, 38 maybe. But... I think most goalkeeper, uh, most players of that age, the you base it on, you know, once the season is finished, you go away, you have your break, and then you see how you feel in pre-season. And that, a lot of the time, can define as that hunger there again. Whereas you're 27, 28, you want to think two or three years in the future. I think when players are at that age, I think it was Scott Brown um, that, that, that mentioned after he led Celtic and maybe even after he retired, actually, that it really is, you take it, you don't know how you're going, your appetite and your body is until you come back and you do you do your preparatory work at the start of the season. That's when you start to have those thoughts about have I lost half a yard? Do I have the hunger? Do I have the willingness to do an extra session after training that I did last year? If that then ebbs away, you realise very quickly. And sometimes I think that's when it's, it's not uncommon for players to sign a deal and then actually back, you know, back away, you know, an extra year extension. And within a couple of weeks, they make that decision. Actually, it's not for me. And I think with Joe Hart, it probably is at that stage. I, I wouldn't be in a hurry to sit down and try and thrash out his future 18 months ahead because really you would be taking it, you know, on a summer by summer basis. Or, or generally that's what players at that age, I think um, that's how they base it. Yeah, absolutely. This is obviously something we'll come back to. Um, because I'm sure there'll be more kind of uh, details on, you know, Celtic want to sign people up. Um, I just wanted to highlight, before we, we're, we're going to move on to the St. Johnston game in a moment or two, um, there was an interesting kind of discussion, or kind of quotes from Ange about him losing his temper and such. Um, I've had my moments here, it's fair to say. People might be surprised because they might not have been at the most obvious times for some people. It's not about getting angry or having a blast just for the sake of it. It's about whether I feel something isn't as it should be. Usually it's around not so much the game or results, but behaviours. If I see a behaviour that I don't think fits in, I'll make sure the player and the group knows about it. That's my role. I can't ignore it or let it go and be nice. That's what everyone expects of me. If someone displays something that I don't think fits in, I'll have no hesitation in telling them it needs to be addressed. What do you think he's talking about? Uh, Kieran, we'll start with you. Behaviours. Well, I, th- I think it's something... Do you remember the after the first game after the World Cup? Um, I can't remember who we played. No, Aberdeen. Aberdeen away. Um, when 
he was very visibly frustrated about the wingers. Um, I think it was Jota and Abada who started that one. Yeah. And then Jota didn't start a game for like five games or something. Yeah. I think it's that kind of, I think it's like when they don't, you know, he's talked about, other players have talked about him. He's talked about, he likes players to express themselves creatively in the final third, but they still need to do the underlying demands. They still need to make the right runs within that framework, within that creative framework. They still need to do what he asks of them. You know, I think sometimes maybe he seems a bit occasionally frustrated when Jota isn't making the kind of the runs on the outside or when he comes inside and he leaves the, the fullback a bit isolated. Because we, we love Jota, but he can be a bit of a... <laughs> a it's very much about self-expression, shall we say. Um, um, I just, I just love it when I see Alan's door open. We know what that means. <laughs> the dog visit. Dog. <laughs> um, um, yeah. No, it's like I think it's about those types of behaviours where maybe they're whether it's subconsciously or they just they're just feeling quite confident. Who knows? But I think it's just those things. He does get very, very upset when players don't do the things he asks of them. Because I think it's partly because he does want them to express themselves in the certain situations, yeah. so that when they when they're doing that in situations where, like you said, look, you have to be doing this, so you have to be making these runs, you have to be looking for these types of passes, then he just gets very, very upset. And I think I, I like that. I, I I really like that from my manager, who's just you know you you know you look at Jota, you could make a case that technically he's our best player, um, and yeah, you've got uh, the manager saying you know. You're not doing what I'm asking you. I'm going to bench you for four games, um, and I'm going to. <laughs> I'm just going to yell at you in the the dressing room after, even though we had a decisive last minute winner, because they, these are the standards we want. And we've talked about it for ever since Ange's come in that it's standards, it's underlying performance, not results. So I think that's where he always comes down to him is that if he believes that the players are doing the things asked of them and it's just not coming off for whatever reason. He's happier with that than if we might, you know, we're doing the bad, <laughs> we're not, we're not doing what we should be doing, but somehow managed to get a goal from that, whether through a screamer or a go or whatever. I think th- that's the, that's the sort of situation he's talking about. And I, I love that. I think that's good. You know, we always talked about it during the 10 season where Lennon would talk about how we played brilliantly, because we won 2-0, whereas anybody watching the game would say that was dreadful Great and they tough. have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. So they, that's, yeah, I love it. Um, what I think is interesting, we'll bring you in in a second, Alan, is two of the kind of, in my opinion, two of the best managers we've had, a lot of people's opinion, of course, it's, it's an obvious thing to say, right? But Martin O'Neill and Ange Postacoglu, both those managers, uh, if you listen to how Martin O'Neill talks about, and Martin O'Neill's players talk about, we never saw him. He kept himself away from the squad um, and that kind of gave an air of kind of, you know, uh, the unknown and stuff. Ange Postacoglu seems to be very similar when he talks about, I don't really speak to the squad. They take, you know, the changing room takes care of themselves and all that stuff. And then you look at guys like Strachan, who was like super involved in almost everything. And then you look at guys like Lennon, who was pals with everyone. It seems to be that idea of you just let the kind of changing room kind of just it's a, a law into itself. You've got the manager and you get the captain and all that. It's just there's a lot of similarities between Martin O'Neill and Ange Postacoglu, Alan, isn't there? And yeah, tell tell us your thoughts on those quotes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, and I think it's I think the one word that comes across, um, and it's not a there's no right or wrong. There's different styles, and yeah. you might like one more than the other. But I think one thing that comes across 
for manage is discipline, but it's discipline on and off the park. And I think it's about, I think it works really well in this environment because we have a better squad than every team in the country, sometimes by quite a significant margin. And it's very easy, I would imagine, for a professional to take his eye off the ball. Um, for example, Dyson Maeda is in you know, phenomenal form at the moment. He's come over from Japan. It would be fair enough and it would be probably quite understandable for him to think, I'm absolutely crushing it in this league. So, you know, I can maybe, you know, that, that sprint late on when I've got short sleeves at Hamden when the weather's pissing down, I maybe just won't make that wee 10-yard burst when there's three minutes to go in the game and we're winning comfortably. And I think I think it might be those moments when Ange maybe senses that a player has just taken his eye off it a little bit, that then he thinks, right, that's when I need to. And I think it actually has a better impact. Look, if Celtic lose a big game to Rangers and Ange goes, Ange goes into the dressing room, Everyone likes the idea that he might roll on top of the players, but that sometimes is not the best thing to do because the players will be as upset as anyone. Yeah. But if you can catch the players in a moment where you maybe just think they've taken your eye off the ball, it can have a bigger impact. And I think it is a really clever thing to do, but it is about discipline. Um, and, you know, uh, the example that comes to my mind, I think we brought it up recently, was Wraith Rovers at home. Now, we were more than comfortable in the game, but we were just being far too safe in possession. And we were... Uh, but it it was an opportunity for players and they weren't taking that opportunity because for whatever reason they didn't feel comfortable or you know it was a collective but they've started just to take become a little bit negative and it's that moment when the ball goes back the way and he does I mean he does it in front of a well not a full stadium but he does it in front of you know a stadium itself apart that must be a pretty chasing experience for a player to have the manager absolutely slaughter you in front of you know 20 odd thousand people yeah. and he won't do that lightly but he sees it as an opportunity because it's not just that player then it, as other players see that, they take notice and think, actually, it is really important at all times, irrespective of the opposition, that we don't take our eye off the ball. So I, I do, I like it. I think it's it's really important. And you need to get to a good position for it to work, though. And obviously, we are in a good position at the moment. Um, so it's good. I like it. Alternatively, he might just kick off if someone takes an extra potato croquette at Lennox Town's uh, cafeteria. And he might just prison rules, you know, tray over the back of the head, Chris Julian. Juranovic when he asked for the day off remember we remember that as well twice he asked for the day off look at him now he's gone literally literally out in the woods in Berlin yes Jesus it's like an episode of the Sopranos famously the episode in Berlin one of my favourites ah out in the forest and all that fuck, fuck up Alan um, stats and form uh, and just the idea of being Try to cruise through things, trying to um, Celtic getting comfortable. Ange was mentioning this in an interview. He says the first thing we do is ignore the stats. They can't. They can get you thinking you're in a comfortable space. It's just the environment we create here. That's what I've done here from day one. These guys come in and do and these guys come in and and no day or minute is wasted. When you have that, you don't really worry about the stats or the form. You know that's irrelevant and in the past. What's important is what the next step is. That's the key. Look at our squad right now. It's the strongest it's been since I arrived at the club. Training every day is really intense. The players can't come in here and try to cruise through because they'll get found out straight away and they'll lose their position. It just doesn't allow for it. We have healthy competition. It's not about anyone wanting others to fail. It's about wanting others to succeed and push each other to the next level. That last kind of bunch of quotes I think is terrific and it's obvious and you know you imagine every manager would say that I'm not sure they do so 
Great stuff uh, from Ange. Uh, and this leads us into a question from Jim. Uh, let me just get the question from Jim up. Uh, Jim asks, um, Morning all. Some fun Kyogo stats. After his recent goal against St Mirren, Kyogo has now scored against every Scottish team he's faced in the league or cup. It's a good, good, good way. Good thing. After his goal against yes, after his goal yesterday, he has now scored at ten of the twelve uh, away grounds he's played at in Scotland. The only two he hasn't is Tynecastle and St Mirren Park, where he's played a combined total of one hundred and one minutes. Question to the panel: Has Kyogo earned the right to start next season's European campaign as the first choice striker? Really appreciate all the hard work that goes into the cynic from you all. Hail, hail. Um, great question, Jim. Um, Kieran, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it has. <laughs> and I think it was always going to be. Um, you know, like, I'd, I've said before, I think it all might take time to get up to speed. Well, we always hope that when a young player arrives that they can make an instant impact. Um, I think it's, it's tricky for a variety of reasons for, for someone like, oh, when he's come, it's entirely new. He's never lived outside his his own country, you know. It's um, he is he's still young and developing. He's got some rough edges to smooth off, and there's the whole thing. But we know Ange's system is so specific that it, unless he's absolutely needs to, he tends to try and take at least a few weeks, even even a few months before players are introduced. You know, the thing, you know, even even you look someone about you know Alistair Johnson is a bit of a outlier because Ange has already talked about how how fit and and how clever a player is in terms of understanding instruction. I think he I think it's more traditional the way this is happening with Owen Kobayashi where they're getting eased in. I thought we're not I'd be very surprised if we're seeing another striker in the summer. So and I do think it as I do think it will be Kyogo's jersey for the vast majority of the Champions League games next season. I think I think it's is because this is he really struggled in the Champions League this year. I think it has maybe tinted um, how his, how his season's been reflected upon a bit, or how he as a player has been reflected on. Where he doesn't, you know, he doesn't he doesn't put, score enough chances. It doesn't. That's a, a view that doesn't really hold up to much scrutiny in terms of when you look at you know what he's on course to have thirty league goals this season, but also. He is vastly outperforming his expected goals as well. He's been <laughs> far, far more clinical than states that would suggest he should be. And I think it's just the, the Champions League campaign for a number of big, big players was a disappointment. Kyogo was disappointing. Jota was disappointing. O'Reilly was disappointing. Juranovic was disappointing. A lot, a number of those players we thought would really step up, and they just, they just didn't. <laughs> I think, I think it's going to be a confidence thing for Kyogo. And we've seen already. We've seen throughout his career that he he has his runs. He has runs of where he just can't stop scoring. I think he's got nine and eleven since the World Cup. You know, I think it's it's going to be something for him where if he hits the ground running this first as the season kicks off, and you know he he just feels more confident in himself. And if he gets that goal in the first Champions League game. You know, he has the ability and he has the suitability to European football where he can score three or four goals in a, in a group stage, in a Champions League group stage. It's just whether or not he gets the monkey off his back, I think. It's just the mentality side of thing for him, I think. You know, he's always going to be a player who misses some sitters because that's the player he is. Otherwise, he'd score 50 goals a season. 
But he his his movement and his positioning is so good that he will get to really high quality position, you know, positions a lot of the time. We, we know that that's just the, the type of player he is. I think he will be Angie's first choice. Angie loves him. Um and I think unless oh absolutely just these remaining games with the rest of the season and in the summer, unless he just blows expectations entirely out of the water, um, which is a possibility, I think, is absolutely Kyogos Jersey. You know, you said, like, um, if he scores in that first Champions League game, you fucking better. You fucking better, by the way. You fucking better. <laughs> uh, Alan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he's in pole position. I think, um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, Bringing it up at this point in time as well seems it seems fairly academic unless there's significant changes. Um, so you know, I, I think we did afford them that maybe that opportunity of it is a big adjustment. Um, he, he, he didn't have a great time this year's Champions League. I think that I don't think that's exaggerating. There might be mitigating factors, but sometimes football can be particularly cruel. Um, but I do think. I do think he's very important to the way we play, and I think the threat of him is very important. So unless, um, as Kieran says, unless oh, really, unless he fulfills the, the hope that Joe Hart has in him um, very, very quickly, then, um, yeah, I think it will be Kyogo. You know, if we line up in that first Champions League game, I, you know, I'd expect to see Kyogo's name there. Yeah. Um, and I think we would all we would all love it. It would be great. I think maybe sometimes we forget the significance of Champions League football to players that come here, especially guys like Kyogo, um, I think it would be it would be a huge milestone for him to not only just score in the Champions League, but to, you know, contribute to hopefully a successful campaign for us. Um, whether that's, you know, second or, you know, qualifying beyond Christmas. But yeah, I, I think he's in pole position. So I, I wouldn't have any concerns about it, but hopefully he's a better run at it than he, he, he did last year. What do you think Jackamakis is doing? Like, because his transfer hasn't gone and he's not in the squad. Do you think he's just having a nice time, chilling out, having some nice food, relaxing? Or, you know? I think he's sitting in the airport terminal in Atlanta, like um, like the famous movie, The Terminal, starring <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. yeah. Just kicking about, eating different foods in the airport, waiting waiting for someone to come and collect him. I love that he's, yeah. not, he's not allowed to leave the airport. <laughs> what the fuck? But, American immigration is famously tough, Chris. So it's famously tough. tough. Very true. But I guess to meet Catherine Zeta Jones, so swings around about. <laughs> um, I haven't actually seen the film. I should point out, so I'll, I'll just laugh heartily there. Um, if you want to, la- she's in the film. If you want to laugh even more heartily, you should listen to Tom Hanks's accent because it's absolutely horrific. Um, in the film, St Johnston won Celtic four. Uh, we did a reaction to this, a full reaction uh, with myself, Paul Collin, and Colin Kearney. It's available on your RSS feed in the app and on the website as well. Um, thoughts on the game, uh, Alan? We'll start with yourself. Yeah, really positive. I enjoyed the reaction um, yesterday. I think it, it summed up fairly well. First half, I thought we were really good. It was actually a good game of football. Yeah. Um, you know, both sides. Um, it was nice. I, I think. I think St Johnson were fairly aggressive in their tactics, um, actually quite bold, and they didn't get beat by nine goals. So, you know, um, I, I don't hand out plaudits very often, but it was nice. It was enjoyable. Um, a decent game of football on what wasn't a great pitch. I think we'd flagged out on Thursday night that that could have been a concern and it really wasn't pleasant. Um, and it looked quite tough to play, but I thought we played some nice stuff. Um and just more of the same. A first half blitz, to be honest. Um, obviously, we 
it gets a bit close um, with the with the goal that we concede, but I thought we were fairly comfortable um, and we were really good value for it. And it's very enjoyable watching Celtic and largely having the games wrapped up by half time. Um, if anyone from Celtic is listening and taking feedback, I just like to point out that I enjoy that. I enjoy it very much. It's good for it's good for the heart rate. It's good for everything. So, if between now and the end of the season for both league and cup games, if we could wrap up all the games by half time, then it would um, it would be it would be welcomed. Welcomed, uh, Kieran. How was uh, how was you uh, as a famous shite bag like myself? Uh, how was your uh, heart rate during the game? Oh well, and when the um, heart let that one past them, I was like, I was gone. It's like St. Johnston <laughs> winning five two. This is a nightmare. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, yeah, well, after 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 the initial like thirty seconds or so, I think it was just very controlled. Like, I, I did I did enjoy it. Like as Alan said, like, I was surprised by how proactive they were. Well. They'd left so much space in behind for you know for Moy and like, Akiogo's ball through for the the first goal, which was just spectacular by the way I thought he had a really good game yesterday yeah, um, yeah I, I, it was it was enjoyable in, in patches I thought there were like there were periods where it was 15 minutes where we just couldn't like our, our back four back five just couldn't pass it to the, the front of the pitch and then we had like 10 or 15 minutes playing absolutely gorgeous football in the final third I do think it was one of those games where it was just the midfield and the front three were really clicking and it was exciting for both the, the the final third and our limitations and playing out from the back was a bit exposed. But, you know, you can't, you can't really complain much after a 4-1 win. You know, we got to see a bit, oh, got slightly more time than the last two games. <laughs> and then, then, you know, even, you know, and Hagsabana, we even played some football. Um, I, I think there's, yeah, there's an enjoyable day, a nice, nice sunny day. The pitch was rubbish, but... Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought the yeah, Maeda. I just think Maeda's all the the issues we people had with him this time last year. The improvement in it is 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 a really impressive because when you tend to think of stuff that you improve, stuff like first touch or final ball isn't really things you think of as areas that you can quickly or rapidly improve on in your mid twenties. That's normally stuff that you really develop in your teens, and it's quite hard to. It's usually the other other you know physicality or decision making is the kind of thing you 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 improve on. It's not really the technical side to things. So I think it's it's quite remarkable how how much he's improved that side of his game over the you know even since the autumn. I, I'm quite curious to know. He's mentioned Harry Kuehl has been essential in that, and but I'm quite quite curious to know what specific drills or what specific instructions he's been he's been you know told were to improve that technical side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alan, do you want to come in there? Yeah, just on um, that, I'll, I'll come on to the Harry Kuehl thing in a minute, just from being at the game. Um, but the, it's quite funny when Kieran mentioned about Joe Hart conceding a goal. We, we were really cruising at that point and it started to look like, and genuinely we were sitting watching it and I'd said, look, this could be, this could be like a Dundee United away again. Yeah. Now, I think that's exactly what Andrew's referring to. And he's not just talking about the players, as in the fans. We took our eye off the ball and immediately we can see the goal. I was half expecting Andrew to be standing in the garden just banging on the window, <laughs> you know, doing that point he does at me. Um, and I did briefly then think this could oh, this could go badly quickly, but um, it didn't. So it, it was all positive. On the, the Maeda thing, I think it is quite interesting. Um, every single game, um, when the players kind of head up the tunnel, 
Maeda and Harry Kiel maybe stay out for an extra, maybe an extra 90 seconds, two minutes. But all they do is Maeda feeds it into Harry Kiel, one pass, then drives down the line and every single time it's on his left foot, he just tries to work across him. But it's not a floated cross, it's not a, you know, he's not trying to lift it. It's just about firing the ball as, you know, Strong, low, hard, into a decent area in the box. And he, he maybe does it nine, ten times. I think it, it looks to me like what they're trying to do is, is work really clearly on being able to get into those areas and be able to use his left foot as opposed to trying to drive back in onto his right and try and work on that technique because I think it must be extremely difficult to... Because we, we as fans, we don't think about things like balance and you know things like that, but... When he is running at that speed and he's, you know, got a player that's trying to track him down as well, we think we'll just get a ball in. But to do it with, you know, power, technique is, is quite difficult. And I think that's obviously something they're doing now. That's all we see, you know, from the warm up at Celtic Park. And I think it maybe just highlights that Harry Kuehl is looking, working on things with him. And presumably they'll be doing far more at Lennox Town. If, if Dyson Maida puts anywhere near the amount of work in at Lennox Town as he does when he's on the pitch for Celtic, then I would imagine that he is doing quite a lot of extra and, you know, spending time with coaches. And um, we don't see things like that, but I think it is quite interesting. And his ability to trap a ball, drop it off and then go again now has improved since he's been here tenfold. Um, I think it was arguably his biggest flaw, whereas now he's quite happy, just take a touch, move it on and then go again. And to be honest, he... I don't think there's any doubt that he's your guaranteed starting winger every week now. I, I just think everything, both sides of the ball, is exceptional. And he's just a joy to watch. He really is. He's an absolute joy to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we look at someone like him, um, and I know we were a bit critical of Abada on the um, on the reaction and stuff, but if you look at how quickly Maeda, Maeda had went from kind of poor form to exceptional form, and you've, meant, you've said this, Alan, you know, we could be talking about in two months' time any of that kind of front three, uh, yeah. in any position just a, a, a terrific turn of um, reform and stuff so that's kind of why it's always you know try to look at the positives but at the same time it you know glaring poor form you I, can't hide either I think the thing is with and you guys touched on it earlier with that front four um, excluding the striker so of the wingers we've got Haxbanovic, Jota, Maeda, Abada Boris maybe they are all capable of being exceptional players on any given day. Yeah. I think the fight between them is now who can be the most consistent. So when they aren't at their absolute best, who's not the worst? Now, I know that's maybe a really negative way, and that maybe says a lot about the way I approach football, which is probably very, very different to, to Ange. But when your winger isn't able to do the spectacular, when he's not able to cut inside from 25 yards, shoot and score, who contributes most to the team? And... I think Dyson Maida is far and away the one that does the most for that. And I think then after that, you've probably got Jota, who, as Keenan says, defensively, it's probably as close to a luxury player as we've got, but he's very safe in possession. He's very, very good in possession. Yeah. The job for the other guys, Haxabanovic, Abada, and to a lesser extent, James Forrest, is now going to be, when you get that game time, you really need to try hard to make sure you do the spectacular, but you can't do it at the cost of doing the basics. And probably the the worst example of that, and it is talking about yesterday, is Leila Bada, who come on, probably tried to do, tried to impress, which is what we want to see. But for whatever reason, it just never came across to him. And it's very difficult. I joked yesterday talking to people that 
probably Leila Badez would be gutted that he got on the park yesterday because all he did was do his self any harm. He'd probably rather James Forrest go on because it would have gave him a better chance of getting game time next week. And that is the predicament that the guys that are coming in have, Haksivanovic as well. You might only get 10, 15 minutes. You might get half an hour if you're lucky. In that half an hour, you need to do something to make the manager, and in training, of course, as well. But you need to do things that make the manager think, give me a hard decision to make. And I think as the weeks go on, I, I do, Dyson made and, and Jota, they just, they're so consistent for wingers, I think. Um, take away the goals, take away the spectacular moments. They're both really, really good in the ball and they both involve other players really, really well. So it's kind of hard to see that. Um, that kind of pairing being broken up anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some questions. Um, one is around the squad. It's from Tommy. He asks, yesterday Hatate um, struggled in the first half, but Anne still stuck with him to the 65th minute, which seems to be what she seems to do with the subs every game. Do you think he sticks to his game plan and players for too long? I know it's trivial, but it was quite clear yesterday. Um, it seems to be quite set with in regards to subs when subs come on and stuff and he makes that kind of three kind of sub and then what's your kind of thoughts on it uh Keenan? yeah i think he's as alan mentioned earlier he's like very married to the five sub rule and he seems he seems to have like a set time whereas as uh, about the 65th 66th minute he tends to make a change um you know it was i think there was a, who were we playing the weekend before last where it was about was it Dundee united where Abada was having a really, really struggling, and I was like, "We've got to take him off at halftime." Um, and it's just not—it's just not something he does. Like I think, well, he's done it in the Champions League. I think there've been occasions when he's done it, and I don't know whether, like, because the Champions League was was underwhelming. I don't know whether it's like he's revised his view or not, or this is how he just approaches league games, especially league games now where you basically only have one a week and this is how he's managing I think I think I, I do think maybe it would have been a different scenario if we weren't so comfortable. Um maybe if if we if it was drawing or even losing, then you say he's more urgently making subs. But if you're two goals up, I think you just you know, Hadate is one of your best players. He's he's having a bit of an off day. It's not the end of the world. If you you know there's no need to take him off at half time, you know <laughs> um so that you just you just bide your time. Um, I think it is very situation dependent, but I think if we are, you know, for this title run, and as I said earlier, I do think the vast majority of weeks he will just pick his best team. I don't think there will be maybe at most one or two positions he rotates every week, almost certainly the wingers and maybe one of the number eights. I think this could be the back five for the, the rest of the, well, for maybe 90% of the, the, the rest of the season. Um, I, I, yeah, and then you just say, right, we're going to bring Hags, back. and it seems quite uh, married to those subs as well. Those specific, those five guys, maybe a Wata will will feature a bit more, but I, I think it will just be, you know, O'Reilly, a Wata, Turnbull, Hagsbanovic, a Bada. Um, am I, miss, am I missing someone? Uh, who who else? Oh. On? oh, oh, yeah, oh, I think those seem to be like the guys maybe they'll get a start here and there, but I think it'll be pretty much that's the way it's going to be for the, the rest of the season. Because that's what it was um, in the title run in last season as well. There was very little rotation and it was almost exactly the same subs who were coming in. You know, it's almost <laughs> identical Where in the way that Moy O'Reilly are changing every now and again. It was O'Reilly and Rogic. I think that is, it is the, 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 the lineup is even remarkably similar to the one we had last season as well. Yeah. Alan, what's your kind of take? 
Yeah, I think on Hatati, I don't think it was his best day, but I like he's a player that um that you have faith in, you believe in. Um I don't think he's he wasn't a liability at any point. I don't think it was at the stage of, you know, looking to who come off at half time. You want to protect players and uh, sometimes when, when you're winning that comfortably, you can accept that he will get better, he will improve. Um, you know, not his best day, but I don't think there was anything particularly dramatic in it. And I think he, he likes to give that game time out and I I think he's always respectful of his minutes. Going back to that discussion about Martin O'Neill, I don't think Ange is one that really gives out game time unless you've earned it. I think he's quite content with a player sitting with a face stripping them on the bench yesterday. James Forrest, for example, face like thunder, probably disappointed not to get any game time. I don't. I think Ange, if a player was to go to him, he would, of course, be respectful and discuss that, but he would also say you've got, you've got one option to change it and it's be better, um, whether that's in training, whether that's in the five minutes you get. That's your job, um, and that's the competitive nature of it. So I think he, he gives out game time to players that he maybe feels, you know, you're unfortunate not to be starting, but it's a, you know, it's difficult as soon as that opportunity presents itself to get guys like Matt O'Reilly on, who, you know, is probably it's a little unfortunate that he's out the team, but that's that's the nature of it. So I think that's how he attributes that game time. Um, as well as maybe players that he's trying to bed in. And I think that will be the big challenge for... Uh, Kieran mentioned Awata. I think that will be the big challenge for him. He's got the most consistent player in the team playing his position in front of him and a player who actually... Ange doesn't really see the value in taking Callum McGregor off for 10 minutes because he's a captain. He, raised, he makes a standard. And the only time he will start thinking about that is when he then thinks that it's it's more important for Awata to get 10 minutes than it is for the team to have the captain on for 90 minutes. And when that discussion comes, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 24 months down the line, not in uh, three weeks' time. So that's a lot's challenge. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll just have to bide his time until then. Yeah, um, got a couple of questions before we kind of uh, go to the court report. Uh, Martin, uh, it couldn't be a Monday morning without a question about uh, VAR, of course. Um, Martin, uh, what's the panel's view on VAR checks for every Celtic goal? It sure feels like they are looking for the slightest thing to rule them out. Turnbull's goal yesterday, what could possibly be wrong with that? They keep going on about clear and obvious. It's clear and obvious to me why they are using VAR differently for some teams. Um, big big nod of the head there from Alan. Uh, it was kind of every single decision. There was one for a throw-in and all this, Alan. It's a great point by Martin. Just frustrating for us. Yeah, I agree entirely, and it does appeal to the um, the, the the inclination to be paranoid that is very very deep within me, um, and it, it does like this. You can be um, you can be understandable of your own kind of foibles, um, and maybe accept that uh, actually it's just unfortunate, but also it can appeal to the part inside you where you think is it, um, and I think I'm probably in that camp. It's, it's frustrating. I thought that referee this thing yesterday. I really thought he was awful. Um, and I think the thing that I noticed yesterday with the players were getting really wound up yeah. by the, the referee and actually players tend to be much more level than fans because like they can impact the game they tend to they're, they're, they're trained to just move on and try and not get wound up but yesterday there was clear frustration VAR it's, it's far too heavily involved in the game um, we hope it will evolve and improve the, the way that it needs to do that is by trying to go back to those basics and the principles of it to try and correct any um, costly and clear errors that happen in the game that the referee doesn't see and you know it's just it's just a shite way to end a game yesterday as well with yeah. 
you know, a, a minute and a half trying to decide if of the nine people that were blocking the goalkeeper, one of them was standing half an inch offside. Um, he wasn't involved in the play. He didn't impact in any way, shape or form. VR really wanted to clearly get involved in that when I think the linesman and the referee felt it wasn't um, and it was wasteful. I mean, the foul on Carter Vickers, there's just every week, yeah, I just I find myself, the, the standard the referee has went downhill since VR came in and that's probably understandable given that a number of referees have been pushed up the ladder very, very quickly so that there's enough people to, to man it, quite frankly. So, um, yeah, not good, but again, another weekend when we've been comfortable without it, so happy days. Final question for our good friend Kieran Devlin. Uh, this is from Ross. He asks, this might be a hot take. That's never a good start, Ross, I'll be honest. Um, has David Turnbull's recent goal-scoring form clouded the fact he isn't good enough for Celtic, especially under Ange in this system? Kieran, brief. Um, I think it has maybe coloured his performances a bit when he has played. It, I, I I don't think he's been great in his general order in play, but he scored three terrific goals, so you can't really take that away from him. Um, I, I think he's good enough for Celtic, and I think he's, he's a, as Alan said earlier, he's a player with a lot of good attributes. I think it's just about, I don't, th- I don't think he's a great fit for the system because he likes his time on the ball. Um, and I think that's just the, it's the nature, the nature of it. You know, he's he's a good player who's going to have a, a have complete success, confidence. He has who's going to have a terrific career, whether that's at Celtic or not. I'm not sure. I, I I do think it's an area of the pitch that we can upgrade in at number eight. I do think we do need. I, you know, I mentioned earlier <laughs> the goalkeeper. I think for me personally, assuming we don't we don't sell one of our marquee players, I think number eight and goalkeeper are the two positions I'd really like to see us. To, to really go for in the summer at the moment I I, I think it's just yeah any other pitch we're, we're lacking but I, again this is not to disrespect Turnbull as a player it's just about what Alan always talks about the aggregate raising the level of the player you know Turnbull is a, is a good player but if we want to do something in Europe we need a great player and that's that's you know we've talked about the squad is in a really good place and it is it can be even better. And, you know, Alan made a joke about it, and he, he's right too, because we're always looking for new shiny things. We all want to see Owen Awata and Kobayashi and Haxabanovich start of the weekend because we've not seen much of them. And you know, whatever we don't see is surely going to be exciting and better. But I, I, I do think Turnbull is, you know, he was a, a great player this first season. He's, he really adapted and contributed so much last year. It's just say, you know, whether. As I said earlier, with the contract situation, it's like you're a good player who can contribute. We, but if Ange wants to sign another player there who is who is better and maybe a better fit for the system at the same time, it's whether Turnbull would be happy being fifth choice in that position or whether he'd be he'd, he'd like to move on. I think it's just you know it's not a, a reflection of them as ability. It's just about where we want to go as a team in terms of progressing from one step to the next. Uh, thanks for the question, Ross. Uh, thanks to Tommy and, and Martin and everyone else who, who sent ones in for that part of the, the, the pod. Uh, now we go to the Colt Report. Second B round is also a pretty international cup campaign this week as we travel down south to face Blackburn Rovers. Going into last Wednesday's game, the boys face an outside chance of qualification to the knockout stages of the prestigious competition as one of the best stud push sides. However, they would need to come away with a victory in order to have any hopes of achieving that goal. The campaign has been a positive experience for the facing off against English Academy sides, including Fulham in the opening game, suffering an unfortunate 4-2 defeat. 
but they managed to claw themselves back into things after a 4-2 victory of their own against Wolves and a 2-2 draw against Leicester City. All that was left was the fourth and final game of the group stages as they took on Blackburn Rovers in a rescheduled fixture. Darren Dean's team Worth has named a consistent squad in this competition which has provided the young side with plenty of valuable experience. The young side faced another good test with a handful of Blackburn senior players also playing a part. It's been a competitive start to the game, which saw Hoops Ryan Burrow Davidson go close to opening scoring after 17 minutes. Home sides managed to take a convincing first half lead. Just after the half hour mark, striker Harry Leonard handed Blackburn a 1 0 advantage before Theo Eden added a second goal just two minutes later. Unfortunately for Celtic, they couldn't find a way back into proceedings in the second 45 minutes, and Blackburn's Sam Bones was able to score a third for a side of the evening. Celtic did manage to pull back a consolation goal with around 10 minutes to play with Kendi Kosh stuck a long-range effort into the back of the net. However, that was all for proceedings, and it would ultimately end in a 3-1 defeat for the B-side. The boys should be proud of the efforts against the English Academy sides in the Premier League International Cup. With their ventures in this tournament over, all that remains this season is domestic action, starting with a trip to take on the University of Stirling next Wednesday evening after the weekend off. In the next few months, the young side will also contest the Glasgow Cup, but their focus for now will be on low league action. Great stuff from Lewis Laird uh, covering the quote report for the agenda. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, Lewis Laird01, uh, doing all the great stuff behind the scenes. Um, St. Mirren on Saturday. It's a half five kickoff. It's a weird kickoff time, isn't it? Um, got a lot of questions in regard to the kind of rotation of the squad stuff. I'll read the questions out. Three questions, and I want to read them out because they're all they're all written well. Um, Scott asks, with a break in the league and the Scottish Cup next week, do you think Ange will start or, um, start with what is considered his best eleven? Or do you think we will see Kobayashi, Iwata, Haksabanovic and O all start or in contention to start? Uh, we also have a question from Krish, who asks, would you rotate in the forthcoming Scottish Cup clash with St Mirren with players such as Iwata, Haksabanovic and Kobayashi requiring match sharpness? Also, we could possibly get uh, O up to speed with another 45, or should the focus be continuing the momentum Moving forward, the League Cup final and vital uh, league campaign with minimal changes to the team. And also, Alasdar uh, has sent in a question. With only one midweek fixture in the next couple of months, do you expect Ange to rotate less despite his previously stated ambition for teams to finish seasons stronger than they began? So, a couple of things to think on this. Uh, we've got the League Cup final coming up at the end of this month. So it's about sharpness of that squad. Um, but we do have a squad that does need minutes. Um St Mirren, this is the last kind of this is the last round before the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. Um so, you know, the, the the quicker the further you go into that competition, the more kind of you know pressure there is to, to win these ties. All good questions, all very similar in, in relation to kind of the actual point. Alan, we'll start with yourself. Just your thoughts on St Mirren and squad rotation overall. Yeah, I I think there is an eagerness. Um for us to get those players up to speed, you know, I, I thought, I thought at the weekend we may have seen Haksabanovic. I think I'd said that in the week that I thought he would come in, yeah. um, um, just because he's you know on the fringes, probably is um, there or thereabouts. I, I just, I, I don't get with cup competitions. This we've not drawn, uh, you know, first or second division team, 
for all intents and purposes, it is just a it's it's another league game, you yeah. know, in the sense of the ability to standard. Obviously, I think Kobayashi did play against St Mirren, um, so I mean, he's shown that he can play at that level competently. Um, I just I, I think maybe I've been convinced by by Kieran's argument is I think any changes would be minimal. Um, also, I think when it's one game a week. It's very hard then to say to the players who were exceptional the weekend before that don't worry, you'll get rested this weekend. You don't want rested um, when you're playing well. Actually, you, you know you want to stay in there, you want to keep ticking over. So I think any changes will be largely within the the realm of what we have seen previously. Um, you know, the, the players that have been in and out the team, I think will come back in as opposed to wild changes. You know, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't expect O to start. I probably wouldn't expect Iwata to start. Um, I think it will be much of the same. Maybe one of the wingers, you know, Moy O'Reilly, you know, that's that's probably Moy's performance at the weekend probably brings him back in again. So, yeah, I think it will be largely within the realm of what we've seen previously, nothing drastic. It's not, this isn't a, a League Cup game in the first round against Clyde or something like that. This is, you know, Premier League team, half half past five prime time game um, against another team in Scottish Cup. It's, you, you you, you want to win it. You want to win everything. So, <laughs> yeah. um, look, wait, it's kind of, it's like those tweets you see from folks saying, um, they want takeaway and their mum tells them there's a perfectly good frozen pizza in there. That kind of feels like the way we're treating this team just now. They're really good. They're, you know, they're, and they're very functional. Um, and they're great to watch, but we want to see something else. We want something exciting. Yeah. Um, even though the players have got it exciting, but we want a wee bit more. We're just greedy is what we are. So, Frozen pizza on Saturday and hopefully um, a buy into the next round would be nice. Uh, we've got, I mean, as we mentioned, that kind of the League Cup final is kind of looming large uh, at the end of the month. Um, but there is only the St Mirren game and then the Aberdeen game are the only two games before it, uh, Kieran. So it is about, well, what's your thoughts? Is it about maybe mixing up on Saturday and then getting back to kind of business against Aberdeen on the 16th or sorry, 18th? Or is it about keeping the team ticking over until that final's out the way? I think it is, yeah. I think I think I agree with Alan. I think, per- personally, I would, I would because, as Alan says, it is new and exciting. And I don't care. I'm greedy. I want to see I want to see new players coming in and score screamers. Um, unlike, unlike you, you cynical wee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't Kieran, know Kieran, Kieran, wants his, Kieran wants his takeaway on Saturday. <laughs> he does not want frozen pizza. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't know, spending without without means. Um, yeah, no. I, um, I, I, I personally, I would like maybe. I'm not. I wouldn't even want like you know four of them or three of them to start. Maybe just one, one or two, like Hagsabanovic and Kobayashi. Like I, that's something I can get aboard with. Or even just like oh, just like one, one or two. I'd, I'd quite like. But I do agree with Alan. I think it's going to be maybe. You know, a bad or Haxbanovic and maybe O'Reilly, and just one of the eights and one of the wingers. I think that'll be the change. Could very well be the exact same team again. <laughs> but I, I do. It's just the the way. I think this is just what he does in the second half of seasons when he gets to one games a week. He just wants his best team on the pitch playing because uh, I think he's something I always heard about. He's very conscious about match fitness. Um, in my old job, he was always talking about, you know, where he spoke with staff and with, with players was always, he does think playing two weeks, you know, if you rest McGregor the weekend or you rest somebody, he, he, he wouldn't like that. He won't, you know, going two weeks without a game is a long time um, without without playing competitive football. You know, it doesn't feel like it was because it might just fly by, but um, for it to be at the absolute 
peak of your match sharpness. Um, you do need to be playing at least one game a week, I think. So I think that's where he'd really fit into. You know, if, if you want your to have the best results and the best performances, you need to play um, playing your best team every week. Well, I think it's it's quite interesting because um, you know the the question the questions we received from from uh, Scott and Chris and Alistair, they they all kind of well Scott and Chris certainly do. They mention Haksabanovic, and it's almost like Haksabanovic has been put into the category with the new players that that have kind of come in, which I think is quite odd in a way. I understand it. But, you know, you think about, think back to before the World Cup, you know, the Ross County game before the World Cup, he was exceptional. He was the best player on the pitch. He scores two goals. The game against Hibs, um, him and uh, Burnaby down that left-hand side, absolutely fantastic. He sets up again two of the goals. Um, and I know that he's had injuries and stuff, but this I'm saying this as a joke, but put some respect on his name. Put some respect on Haksabanovic's name, everyone, because he's the best. No, I just mean I think Haksabanovic coming in would be less of a risk than players who aren't haven't played a lot of games within the system. So Haksabanovic, I think coming in isn't that big of a sort of surprise as a Kobayashi or, yeah. a, or, a, or an Awata or an O. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Alan, if he was to make changes against St Mirren, and we'll cover the St Mirren game in a little bit more detail on on Thursday. But if he was to make changes, how many do you think it would be? Would it be one, two. Two, I think. Enough that it seems like he's rotating, but enough to <laughs> kind of keep him happy so that he's keeping the players he wants to take over. No, genuinely, I think at most two. I think when you play that well the weekend before, see if this team keeps putting in performances like that week on week. You, you, I mean, I, I, like, let's, it's Monday, let's get excited, fuck it. You put in performances like that week on week, that level of consistency, and you then perform in the big games, you will end this season with a treble. That's what's at stake. And yeah. so, you know, that that's what he'll be thinking. And that's what I'm thinking. That's definitely what I'm thinking now. So um, <laughs> you've, I you've think watched. that's what it's about. Absolutely. You, you, Look, get- I'm going away for a couple of days today, so I'm, <laughs> I'm getting myself excited. I've said, I've said the T words, which we've not heard in God a very long time um, at Celtic. Well, two years, three years. Um, so that's what it's about. It's this time of the season isn't about anything other than lifting trophies. We're in that time of the season, so let's uh, uh, let's do it. You're working yourself up. I love it. It's, no, it's, it's, honestly, but, but see if I had my wee Apple Watch thing on, it would be beating saying, "Calm yourself, <laughs> calm yourself, um, Daddy." Yeah, um, it's the way. Good. I just say one very quick question: If you could have one of the new boys start the weekend, just one, who would you like to see? That's a great que- that's a great question, Kieran. Um I don't know. I'll go first. Uh Iwata. Alan? Uh, oh. Because when Joe Hart says something like that, it makes me really stand up and it just it was a bizarre quote, as in exciting, so throw him in. Kyogo, sorry son, you're out. Yeah, Jesus, you're out. You're at the door. Gone. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, no, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see Iwata. That doesn't necessarily mean that Cal McGregor doesn't play. Maybe just push him up a little bit uh, to the eight, but because I think Cal Mack is always going to play. Um, but yeah, because Alan, you made the, you made the point earlier. Like he probably has the toughest job in front of him, and in, in, in regards to playing time. So you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll come. Ian, in. who would you, who would you like to see come in? I'll just go Koba just to complete the treble. That's what I'll go. But I, 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 I'm already like. Uh, you know, like a complete 
Mark for him. He's played two games against Morton and St Mirren, and I just like this guy's the best thing since sliced bread. I love him. Oh, sliced bread! What a player, by the way. Incredible for pressing nothing. Um, the cynic agenda for the week. What have we got coming up? You're listening to the agenda, of course. Tomorrow we've got the review with uh, Alan Graham and uh, our good friend Christian. Uh, Wednesday we've got the Celtic women's football show. The Celtic uh, FC women they ran out three 0 victors over Aberdeen yesterday. Um, but I think there's a lot to talk about from that game. Uh, Claire and Lorenzo will be uh, covering it all. Thursday, we've got the Cynic Weekly, as we always do. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to the St. Mirren game on that. Friday, the weekend update. Saturday, we'll have the reaction to the St. Mirren game. Uh, as we say, the game... Is it a 5 or 5.30 kickoff? Let me just check. I think it's... 5.30. 5.30 kickoff. Uh, so the reaction will be a little bit later than it normally would on a, on a Saturday. Uh, and Sunday, we've got a new edition of the stories and the songs. Uh, myself and Mark Braceland will be talking through a Celtic-related subject. Looking forward to that. That should be fantastic. Um, great stuff, as always. We're top of the league. Nine points clear. Um, and dominating life. Alan Edgar, enjoy your couple of days away. I have to say, I look forward. Th- thank you. Can I make a suggestion, perhaps, for your reaction on Saturday? You said it's going to be slightly later because obviously the game's later. So why don't you pre-record that? Why don't you record the reaction before the match and then see how close you can get? I think I, I would certainly be very keen to listen to that. It's a new, that's a very new type of uh, content. Um, Out here breaking barriers, mate. Out here breaking barriers. You're, you're very much in it. You're very relaxed. You're having a nice time. You're going on holiday. You're just throwing whatever you want out there. Great stuff, Alan. Pleasure as always. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Have a lovely week, boys. Bye-bye. Uh, Kira Devlin, speak to you soon, pal. Pleasure, my girl. Lovely stuff. Uh, from Kieran Devlin, from Alan Edgar, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been uh, The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs>